The Guardian. The weekly shop for the Roussel family in Senac, near Bordeaux. I'm 46 in two weeks. Unfortunately, I've been unemployed for a year. Before that, I worked in a big hypermarket. Thierry's wife Isabelle still has a job, but their budget is tight. In fact, our approach is to buy the strict minimum. We buy just what we need for the family. We aren't in the situation where we add what we want when we want it. The priority is the kids, their education, their comfort. And the rest, we just do when we can. We just heard from Thierry and Isabelle Roussel, who live in Sénac, about nine miles outside Bordeaux. I stayed with them recently as part of a G2 assignment. They're clearly struggling to make ends meet and are having to prioritise what they spend their money on. Unlike its continental neighbours, France didn't really experience the boom and bust of the world financial crash of 2008. It was also one of the first countries to exit the recession alongside Germany, so on paper at least, the outlook for the country should be good. I'm John Henley, and in the second of this special series of Focus podcasts as part of The Guardian's Europe season, we'll be looking at the problems France is facing, with high unemployment and negotiating a period of momentous social change. I'm joined on the line from Paris by The Guardian's correspondent, Angelique Chrysophis, by our economics correspondent here in the studio, Philip Inman, and the London-based correspondent for La Tribune, Eric Albert. Welcome to all of you. Thank you. Um, Angelique, if we can start with you, um, we'll be hearing from them throughout the programme, the Roussel family, but how typical do you think their story is? I think it's very typical. I think there's a sense of a mood of real pessimism here in France at the moment. There was a recent survey conducted in Les Echos, the financial paper, saying that 41% of workers in the French private sector expected to be out of a job and unemployed in the coming years. Um, there's 25% youth unemployment in France, which is far higher than Germany or Holland, for example. And in the meantime, the CAC 40, the, the, comp- the country stock exchange companies, are doing incredibly well. And there's an idea that the resources, that money in France isn't being shared out and the rich poor divide has just increased under Nicolas Sarkozy. Yeah, um, Eric, let's turn to you. How much do you think we can attribute this situation, exactly what Angelique was talking about, that this immense dissatisfaction and kind of disconnect, how much can you attribute that to the aftermath of the economic crash? What was the impact uh, of 2008 on France? The interesting thing is, French didn't really notice there was a crisis um, because it didn't hit as hard. No bank was nationalized, or at least not in the same, sh- same way. It wasn't a shock like here in Britain, for instance. But France has been a nation in fear for a very long time. It's an extremely conservative society because it's a, con- a society where unemployment has been high for 30 years because salaries, as Angelique said, are low. Although people with a job are fairly well protected, but with a low salary, life is not easy. Um, and therefore, it just reinforced it. Um, there was a temptation when Sarkozy was elected to say, well, let's reform, let's change things. Although Sarkozy was quite careful not to, to go too far during the campaign. But he was elected on a program of change, on an agenda of change. Clearly, as soon as the crisis hit, he had to 
leave that behind and say, well, actually, we're not going to reform too much. We are going back to, it's almost a knee-jerk reaction to the old, good old way um, of, you know, Frenching economy. Okay, what's, could you just talk us through a little bit through the, the sort of specificities of the French economy? What makes it stand out, I guess, from its sort of European neighbours? And how has it been faring over the last few decades? France is a slow economy. Um, it's never doing very badly. It's never doing very well. It's a slow economy partially because people are indeed fairly well protected um, and therefore it's hard to fire people and therefore it's hard to hire people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it doesn't rebound as quickly, but it doesn't fall a, as fast. One thing that is to mention, to remind, is the French economy is not that different, after all, to the one in Britain, for instance. We, we have this sort of yeah. myth in Britain, I suppose, of, a, of, a, of there still being a very large state-owned sector in France. Is that is that well, they, not the reality? I mean, there's a large civil servant and a large... Um, but but most, most companies have now been privatized. The industry sector is the same size, roughly, in France and Britain. The difference is it still belongs to French companies. Renault is still a French company. Here you do wonderful, very nice Toyotas and Hondas, but clearly they are Japanese cars, although they are made here. Okay. Philip, let's turn to you. I mean, officially, France pulled out of the recession at exactly the same time as Germany in 2009. That's right, isn't it? And how did the two countries' responses compare? Well, I think picking up what's just been said, it's not so much um, how they tackled it in the aftermath of the crisis, which in some ways was quite similar. It's what they'd been doing for the previous 10 years. And in the previous 10 years, the Germans had been madly investing and bringing through all kinds of reforms to labor laws, which you would say were quite capitalistic, you know, in that they are making for a more flexible labor force, um, such that when the upturn comes, they are ready and waiting to pick it up. And you can see that last year they had record growth almost, you know. And some of their companies like Audi, their car companies, are doing fantastically well at selling to the Asian markets. Whereas the French are struggling. They still have the same setup that they had 10, 20 years ago. And there is very little debate about what to do. Um, I think uh, you asked a question about what do they excel at? Well, Mm. on paper, they excel at aviation. They still make um, uh, planes down in Toulouse. um, And they excel at drinks. So Pernod Ricard is still a globally world-leading company. These are where they produce things very efficiently. But they are second-rate at lots and lots of other things. So Alstom, which is a big engineering company, doesn't match Siemens for the scope of its products, for where, where it sells them. And I think the debate is quite is just starting in France. And because there is such resistance on all sides, amongst, except for a very small amount of people, and even those people want everything protected. I mean, my counter to the Roussel family in Bordeaux is the one I went to in Paris. Uh, they live outside Paris. They have a very comfortable life, had an absolutely massive Mercedes uh, <laughs> 4x4. Um, they have a rent-controlled flat in Paris. Yeah. They would love to see reforms, but reforms are for somebody else to bear the brunt of. Yeah. Okay. Um, a slow economy, as, as, as Eric referred to it. Certainly slow growth. Um, what do you attribute that to? Is there, and is there anything in this feeling that we have in Britain of France being actually sort of a mass of red tape and bureaucracy, and it's actually very hard to get businesses uh, off the ground and up and running in France? Well, to some extent, um, the slow decline that we mentioned earlier, which has been going on for the last 30 years, where you are every year spending a bit more than you take in. So you're always 
racking up your deficits, just getting that bit bigger, is something you can continue almost for centuries in the way that the world works um, until you find that you have this ageing population and you're not having enough children. Now, France has more children than most Euro continental European countries. It's um, a deliberate policy for, for over several decades. Of yes, and it costs, a lot, of, it costs yeah. a lot of money. You know, you get several thousand pounds as a family, and it's not means-tested. So you could be super rich and still be getting your 3,000 pounds a year per child uh, subsidy. Um, and obviously that has had the effect of keeping the birth rate up, but you still have a fantastic health system that keeps everybody alive mm. for much longer. And so suddenly your equation starts to blow out. So I'm, suddenly you find that this slow decline, which kind of the majority are sort of happy with, not very, but it's better than the alternative, um, is starting to lose traction. Mm. You can't keep it going. And the financial crisis has just brought all that hurtling back towards That's it. That's interesting. Yeah. Eric, bureaucracy, red tape, difficult to get a business going? It is true, but probably changing slowly. There's been a few things. There's been um, you know, self-employment is now possible in France, and there's been a lot of new self-company, probably one or two-person uh, company that were created in the last few years. So that's that's a sign. That's interesting. But what's what's interesting to come back to? You know, what is the strength of the French economy? Although you can argue that Alstom is not that good and so on. Big French companies are quite good. French productivity is extremely high. The problem is the SME sector, the small and medium enterprise, are quite slow. They don't export much. And that's a big difference with Germany. where those That's the difference when we heard that last week, that this, this incredibly dynamic German Mittelstand mm. that, that is, you know, dominates and drives the German economy. And that's exactly what's missing in France. Mm. OK, let's move away slightly from the economy. Looking at, at, at Sarkozy and, and his planned reforms, I mean, he came in, uh, um, you know, breathing fire and thunder, promising the earth. We could argue um, that uh, the crash basically stymied his plans to reform France. Um, he's now taken some of those up again, met with huge resistance. Last autumn, obviously, we saw those huge protests against the raising of the retirement age. Um, let's just go back to that moment, um, and then we'll hear what Isabel thinks about the whole retirement debate now. Les they marched in their hundreds of thousands, all across France, people showed what they thought about government plans to raise retirement age from 60 to 62. But any hopes that President Nicolas Sarkozy would back down were quickly dashed. These reforms have always been considered a crucial plank of Sarkozy's policy, with claims it could save the country 70 billion euros within 20 years. I'm not against raising the age to 67. We're in a generation where we live longer, we're physically fit. But the problem is, it's not a question of age, it's about the number of years you've worked that will count. So in the crisis, there are people who are unemployed, working part-time, they'll have a smaller pension. I mean, France clearly has a, a major problem with the level of state expenditure. Angelique, it's very interesting that Isabel seems at least to to be reasonably resigned to the necessity for some kind of change. Uh, overall, what, what is the general attitude? Is her, is her attitude typical? 
I think it is. I mean, I think if you look at public debt in France, even if you take away the idea of focusing too hard on understanding the way the economy works, no French government has balanced its books for, for 27 years now, and that's what Philip was saying. And this is starting to really become part of the political discourse. We've got the presidential election in one year's time. And Sarkozy is down to his lowest ever poll ratings. He's down to 29%. He's really struggling to the point where people are starting to ask themselves, will he actually be able to run uh, for re-election? Or should someone else run for his party? Now, his, um, ironically enough, actually, despite what that report just said, the pensions reform wasn't actually part of his election platform. It was something that came in later that he decided to do. He did push it through. The reason people were on the streets was not only about the pensions idea, because in France the way it works is that pensions are funded by what the working population is feeding into the pot. It was also because he didn't manage to explain to people that they weren't being hard done by by this. So people took to the streets with placards against him for all sorts of reasons, not just pensions. It was this kind of explosion of rage against him. And when what, what to, else has he still got in the pipeline? We see, this is the problem, John. No one can tell you what he's done. And, and, and this is why he's so unpopular, because there's a feeling that he's done absolutely nothing. Now, if you ask the government themselves, straight from the horse's mouth, this week, what did they tell the crowd that he had done? They said three reforms. First of all, the pensions age. Yes, he did push that through. Secondly, university reform. This is the big thing that they're selling. Yes, that's true. And then the third one is something that they call minimum service in France, which means that the country can technically no longer be paralysed by strikes because there has to be some kind of minimum train service, minimum school service on strike days. There were only those three things which the government itself at this meeting cited. Yeah, Eric, how how much of this is is just a, a a very bad PR job from a from a president who is incapable of persuading anybody in France of anything anymore? That's so true. Sarkozy has a level of hatred against him that's almost puzzling from a semi outsider perspective as mine. Um, the problem that French have with Sarkozy before everything else is is vulgar. He doesn't you know, he doesn't behave well. Uh, that might sound silly but that's really the key issue. I suppose I mean marrying a, a former supermodel three months after you meet her isn't exactly standard presidential behavior. A very public divorce marrying um, a superstar and she probably actually helped him in a way to, to calm things down a bit. Um, you know putting high heels on his shoes because he doesn't feel comfortable you know, it's so obviously that it doesn't go well. The other thing of course is is if he looks like he's protecting, protecting the rich on the day of the election, when he won the election, he went to celebrate in a very um, expensive restaurant on on the Champs Elysees. Yeah. That didn't go well at all. Yeah. Um, and it's more important in a way than all the reforms. Um, Angelique said there's three big reforms that are put forward. I would add at least one. The 35 hours a week have been probably. Um, limited, although it's not cancelled. That it's was still the, there, the measure of the former socialist government. Yes, yeah. uh, and it's it's something that, um, especially for the image of France abroad, is... Aren't we being a bit hard on Mr Sarkozy here? I mean, he's meeting so much resistance. You know, he tries this, he tries that, and, you know, and that, France that is, is just... So all of France objects. They say we want change, but when they're presented with an, uh, some change, they say absolutely not. I, I was about to say, I mean, what's, what's interesting is... Well, I, can I disagree there? Because he... So he, 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 pushed, he pushed through the pension reforms. There were the biggest street protests we've seen in decades, and yet he pushed it through relatively easily. So he did manage to do that with, with what he would say was relative ease. I agree. And, and you could argue that he did probably more than Chirac in, in 12 years. I mean, Chirac didn't do anything, anything at all. Yeah. At all. <laughs> that was quite puzzling. And Chirac was more popular. What's interesting is 
during the the demos the demonstrations against the um, the pension reforms people were asked are you supporting the reform about two-thirds of the French society were saying, yes, I think it's unavoidable. Are you supporting the demonstrators? Two-thirds of the French society were saying, actually, yes. So now make up your mind. You know, <laughs> choose whatever you want. But there is this, this you know, like Isabel Just was impossible saying... impossible to satisfy. Impossible to satisfy the French. Like- I think also that the problem with the the problem with Sarkozy, if I can just say, is you know the, the French presidential system is is so different to our political system in Britain, and some people would argue it's not a democracy. You know, the parliament doesn't have enough power. We've got all the power concentrated in one man. What's happened with Sarkozy is he has so many character flaws and so many personality problems. I mean, psychologists have been analysing him. You could call him a narcissist. You could say that he's got a huge you know inferiority complex. He's got so many personal character problems that they have really come to bear over the, 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 the role of the president, which is supposed to be you know, the father of France or the mother of France, uniting the whole country. He is continued... Well, exactly. He's continued with party politics. He's continued with his, his UMP party. He's thrown tantrums all over the place. It's not just his marrying a supermodel. It's his, his ostentatious bling-bling. But it's also his personal tantrum-throwing. He's, he's undiplomatic. He's, he's not managing to, to keep a hold on himself. And if you want to change France, you've got to sell that to the people. And this is the problem. I mean, he's down to 29% approval ratings, which is incredibly low. Let's just go to the to what the Roussel family had. To, I had a very interesting conversation with them, several very interesting conversations <laughs> with them about, about Sarkozy. Um, Isabel, in particular, was deeply disillusioned with him, and she actually voted for him. Uh, but let's first hear from Thierry. We're middle class. And the middle class and those below don't interest Sarkozy. That's my opinion. He'll do a lot for the rich and a lot less for us. We end up paying for everything. The middle class, we get no tax breaks. We pay for everything. It's not that the politicians are incapable. It's that it seems that there's no one in France at the moment who's even capable of coming up with a solution. That's what's worrying. Eric, seems that, well, there's two points there, really. Can we address the first one, I guess, that Thierry raised, which it really does seem that there is a, a two-tier society in France at, at the moment. There are, there's one segment that's doing very well, completely untouched by anything, and another that's really struggling. Can you expand a bit on that? It's, it's slightly more complicated than that. It's very true. It's a two-tier society. The problem is the first tier, the one that's protected, does not feel at all, that they are privileged or anything. A lot of them are possibly public servants, not necessarily, um, but working with a full-time job in a private company. They are under a lot of stress. They are under a lot of pressure. They are paid, whatever, 2,000, 3,000 euros, somewhere in between there. That And you don't feel privileged when you're like that. Yes, you do have a lot of protections. Yes, you can retire early. But, you know, life has not improved for many, many years. You don't feel wealthy. Well, people talk about the suicides in Renault and France Telecom, don't they? Mm. Indeed. And and pressure at work is, is, a, is a real issue. So the, this first tier does not feel privileged at all and is not ready to let anything go because they don't feel they have anything. Mm. Now, the problem is there is a second tier that's much less well uh, protected they are a lot of them actually working for the public sector but they are working on a short-term contract they are working on a help contract they are there's thousands of help contract that were invented government after government oh sorry what do you mean by help contract? Uh, it's a contract with a bit of help from the government so they're sort of subsidized subsidized exactly yeah, okay. it's a subsidized contract mm-hmm. 
but a lot of them also have been unemployed for two, three generations, living in the suburbs. No. And what's really striking is during the strikes, you had certain people in the street, but not the same as the one during the riots in the suburbs a few years ago. It's two different. Those two tiers are here. Mm. None of them feel privileged. Mm. Uh, so you've got this, this, this big mass of people worried, anxious, not feeling uh, secure or privileged or well off at all. And against that, you've got a, a, a really enormous distrust and mistrust in the political class and this feeling that, that France's politicians are simply unable to come up with solutions. Now, to what extent is that responsible, do you think, for this sudden, extraordinary rise of, uh, of Marine Le Pen? I think, as you say, John, it's absolutely crucial. I mean, if we look at what's happened in, in, the, in the Front National... Actually, let's go back to the 20, 2007 election. Sarkozy was elected by really going over onto the extreme right and nicking a lot of their ideas. So we had a, a huge sort of level of discourse about immigration, fear of immigration, fear of crime. And when he was elected in 2007, he pinched an awful lot of votes from the Front National, Jean-Marie Le Pen's party. And then he declared that the party was dead. And it's true, the party was in terrible financial difficulty. They had to... They had to flog their headquarters and they're still in terrible financial gloom. What happened in January was that Jean-Marie Le Pen's daughter, Marine Le Pen, who's incredibly charismatic, whatever else you might say about her, has been elected president of the party. So we've got a new face there. Uh, and she is polling now. We have now had three polls in a row showing that, of course, we have a two-tier uh, two, um, two presidential election here where you have a knockout round and you have two people that, that end up going through for a knockout to win. In 2002, obviously, um, the left were eliminated and we had Jacques Chirac versus Jean-Marie Le Pen. This was considered to be an absolute earthquake moment in French politics. Now, currently, we have Marine Le Pen polling at 25%. That is far higher than her father ever polled before that moment in 2002, seven out of ten people think there will be a repeat of 2002, i.e. the extreme French right is going to go through to the second round in the French election as things stand at the moment. Um, this is will, really we, but will that not just result shocking. in exactly what happened when, when, when Chirac faced of off against Le Pen, which was that the country basically rallied round and said, oh my God, course, we can't no, possibly have that. Of course, Marine Le Pen will never get elected. Why? Because as soon as she's in that round off, everyone who, you know, from the right or left will gang up against her and they will vote for anyone, which is the case with Chirac. Of course, the problem there is Chirac was hugely weakened by this, which would be what would happen to Nicolas Sarkozy. Now, of course, Marine Le Pen's capitalising on this sense of fear, on the sense that Sarko's done nothing. She's trying to make her party more palatable. She's claiming they're not anti-Semitic, they're not racist and so on. Now, the one key question that we haven't talked about yet on this show, where on earth is the French left? Yeah. You know, they were knocked out in 2002. They haven't recovered from this. It's been a decade. They are nowhere. They're polling terribly. We, they don't have a pres presidential candidate at the moment. We're waiting for the IMF. F leader Dominique Strauss-Kahn to throw his hat into the ring. They haven't been able to capitalise on the economic crisis at all to suggest any solutions to the French. I, I despair of the Socialist Party. I, I completely despair of them. It's, you know, everything should be in their favour. There's the biggest capitalistic crisis in, whatever, 68 mm. years. There's a um, deeply unpopular president, and it's all going to the far right. Yeah. Um, I mean, is it simply because they're incapable of uniting around one one figure? It's it's deeper than that. I mean, there is a problem that they all want to be president and they're all fighting for that. But on top of that, they don't know what they stand for. Mm. Do they stand for 
old labor or do they stand for new labor? How, how um, much is the 35-hour week a kind of, you know, totem now that you have to stand behind it or you can't renegotiate it? It is, although some voices from the Socialist Party have started saying, well, you know, maybe we could compromise a bit on that. So that was interesting to hear, but I can't imagine any of the you know, big leaders um, doing campaign on that, for instance. Yeah. OK, we're coming to the end, I think. But um, before we finish, though, I'd like to um, touch a little bit on you know, what France faces going forwards. Um, it remains a country that obviously has got an enormous amount going for it. I mean, a, an extraordinarily good education system, uh, a very highly qualified workforce. You know, it should be steaming ahead. Um, Philip, f- I mean, financially, economically, what do you think, it, what, what, what's really necessary to get France moving? Well, I think one of the problems is is that without a crisis, there isn't anything really to get it moving. And there, you know, there are enough people who can say, "We have all the land, we have all the uh, educated uh, children," that, um, and they can just simply live with hundreds of thousands of humanities graduates all sitting at home with their parents, not doing very much, um, and and keep paying them a bit because they, when they bust the budget, they only do it by. A relatively small amount. Mm. It's not like Ireland or Britain where we're busting the budget by 11 or 12 percent. It's by three or four percent. One thing we haven't touched on at all, um, and which I think we need to socially, uh, is this whole issue of multiculturalism, which of course is a a bit of a dirty word in France. Um, How much of a challenge is that for France? And, you know, how much is France capable of even analysing it as a problem when, for example, it, it doesn't actually keep any statistics that are sort of ethnically based? The thing is, France keeps lying to itself. Um, we believe we are the country of revolution. Actually, we are extremely deeply conservative society today. And we believe we are open to immigration. Actually, we are not. I mean, my, my wife is, is foreigner and having a visa, having it's always a nightmare. You, you get it, but it's it's very complicated. And it is telling that a lot of French second, third um, immigrant generation are actually coming to London to find a job because they can't find a job in, 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 France. in France, partially because unemployment is high, but partially because anyway, with a name like that, with an address like that, you won't get a job. Yeah. Angelique, is the, the, the great French Republican ideal, which is a great ideal in the abstract, an obstacle or, or, or an aid for the future? I mean, there's a real problem here at the moment. Nicolas Sarkozy joined the, the sort of Anglo Merkel club by saying multiculturalism has failed, which just made people spit with laughter in France because multiculturalism doesn't exist in France. This is a, a republic where we're all uh, technically or in theory uh, one in the same regardless of skin colour. So we're all French. It doesn't matter what where we come from. Therefore, there is no multiculturalism. Now, it's a problem here. It's a problem for the economy. We can't measure it with government statistics, but now, you know, whisper it quietly. Economists are even talking about it here now. There is a lot of racism and there's an awful lot of discrimination. Now... France hasn't solved its problem with the banlieue, the, the suburbs, the ghettos, the high-rise ghettos outside cities. And until it solves those problems, you've got a generation of people that are French, they've been French for generations, but they happen to have slightly different shade of skin, and they might happen to be called Mohammed, or they might happen to have an Algerian name, but they're 100% French. Now, if you start keep excluding them from society, from jobs, where you, where you have estates where you have 40, 40% unemployment, where a country like France, which is fabulous, 
that trains and public transport doesn't have any public transport to these ghettos, you're going to have a problem because you're excluding your younger generation from, from being entrepreneurs and from taking part in society. So, you know, perhaps now the economy is going to embarrass France into actually doing something about these ghettos that, despite the riots, uh, have not been changed. Right. I, I'm, thank you. I want to touch on just one very last thing, very briefly, um, if we can, and a little word from each of you. Um, it, it often seems to me that at least over here, France is seen as something of an ideological battleground, um, as a country that is trying to strike a balance between the necessity of free market capitalism as, as a means of creating wealth um, and also the, 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 the evil of that system um, in terms of what it can do to people. Um, this explains, I suppose, the, you know, the, the great protective French state. Is that the way it strikes you? Uh, I'd like to believe that there's something healthy in the fact that French are fairly reluctant to embrace you know, ultra-liberalism. But the truth is, there's no debate, there's no real debate in France. And what's really sad about all that is, it doesn't need to be that much reform to, to change, I think. And, and unfortunately, nobody seems to be embracing that. So, Angelique, resistance to the free market, is it just entrenched self-interest? There's no ideology there? No, John, it's exactly as you described. From my meetings I've been in for the local elections over the past few weeks, for example, the, the, the slogans of the UMP party, Sarko Centre-Right Party, have been the state which protects. Marine Le Pen's big discourse is between protectionism and globalisation. Our nation will be diluted. Those are ideological arguments which you know, far from going away, a key to the presidential election. Philip? Well, it appears to me to be quite a sclerotic society now, and you have lots of people escaping. I think you mentioned earlier, you know, the 300,000 young French people in London. In London. Um, and uh, and I think you contrast it, say, with a country like Sweden, a very similar outlook, social democratic, lots of protection. People expect the state to be stepping in at almost every level um, and every stage of their life. And yet, unfortunately, it's a right-wing government, but it's still, I mean, right-wing in Sweden is not very right-wing, but they have pushed through a lot of reforms um, in the last uh, 10 years, and they have a much healthier mm. economy now because of it. Okay. That's the end of this week's Focus. Next week, we'll be looking at Spain. My thanks then to Angelique Christophers in Paris, Philip Inman and Eric Albert. I'm John Henley. The producer was Vivian Perry, thanks to her, and thank you for listening. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.